Y'all to learn from it though. I'm gonna lay out some steps for you to make that leap, make that jump. Ever felt like you were stuck in one place? Cause something was putting everything in your way. You want bigger things and even bigger dreams. But some things ain't as easy as it seems. Nah, I spent a long time chasing other people's dreams. I put my goals aside. I said it's for the team. I went around the world and met a bunch of girls. And some things I wouldn't change for the world. But I'd be lying if I said I was really happy. A lot of ups and downs. Some kind of sappy. I did a lot of shit, but it wasn't cause of me. Felt like a fraud, but Olivia supported me. To be real, I was scared to be out there No confidence in the failure I couldn't bear I couldn't measure to the talent that I was around So I had to turn the volume down on my own voice That was my choice Looking like a man, still feeling like a boy Knowing every day I would kill it if I did it But risking my ego, I couldn't live with it But I ain't getting any younger though I'm only 26 Gotta stop playing, start building for some shit And before there ain't no time left I'ma follow these eight steps Hey, my name is Melandro, also known as Ricky Lawson II. I am 35 years old. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and I've been living in Oakland, California for the past 16 years. What part of Detroit are you from? The west side, Detroit. What was it like growing up there? Um, it was cool. It was, uh, I want to say it was a mixture of being exposed to everything. Um, There's also a strong music scene, you know, jazz, uh, hip hop. So I was always kind of around that R&B as well. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, you would hear about the, uh, the violence and the poverty and things like that um, as well. So you just kind of learn how to just uh, live with it. Mm -hmm. Did you have both parents when you were a kid? No, um, my parents separated uh, when I was really young. So I moved to Detroit from uh, from California um, when I was about two and a half years old. Okay. So, yeah. What were you like in school? What was I like in school? I was yeah. quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, I feel like I was you know a normal kid as I got older. Then. I became just like more reserved and kind of um, to myself. And I think that's just because being more aware of the, the situation that you're in, you know, growing up in a single parent household and uh, other things that you just kind of like don't notice when you're younger. And then mm -hmm. when you just become aware of it, then, uh, you know, you just uh, find different ways to handle it. Some people have like, uh, more expressive outward uh, personality and, and mine was just to become, you know, more reserved than to myself. Like play the background a little bit? Exactly. Did you have a lot of friends? Like, did you have like a crew that you ran with or anything? Yeah, I had a small, small circle. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe four or five uh, people like in school and then, you know, a few friends from the neighborhood. Next door neighbors, uh, uh friends that like live down the street or across the street so yeah I had friends
And was like for school and stuff, was it kind of in the neighborhood? Like you just saw the same people every day or did you have to travel for school? It was like a busing thing. Um, yeah, definitely had to travel each, each time. Uh, you know, if it was like middle school or high school, uh, catch a bus or um, get dropped off, get rides and things like that. So it wasn't anything that I could like walk to. Mm-hmm. That was just in the neighborhood. What would y'all do for fun? Uh, everything, you know, play video games a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we play uh, basketball in my next door neighbor's uh, backyard a lot. Um, movies, uh, <laughs> dance contests. <laughs> uh, the, the, the quick story about um, the dancing. Yeah. That when I moved, when my mom, myself, and my sister, uh, moved to a new neighborhood and that where I kind of like stayed there the, the longest. Uh, m- I went over to my next door neighbor who is, you know, now my best friend. And it's just like, hey, you know, what you, what's up? Uh, what you guys up to? And then, uh, you know, just being kind of nervous and things like that. Just like, hey, you know, what's up? Can I hang out with you guys and stuff? It's like, yeah, you can hang out with us. But first, <laughs> you got to beat Eddie in a dance contest. <laughs> and Eddie was uh, the oldest of the crew, and um, he lived across the street. Uh, so he was all, everyone was all back there. So my friend Jamal went and got his mom's uh, pink double cassette uh, radio, plugged it up outside, and then we just turned it to, I think it was WJLB. Uh, and whatever song was on, then he was like, all right, you got to dance. I'm like, uh, okay, here I go. And then it was like, okay. He was like, all right, you got some moves, you got some moves. All right, is Eddie's turn? And then everyone just kind of like backed up. Because <laughs> when Eddie dances, he takes up a lot of space. Yeah. And that was uh, after that, you know, became friends with everyone who was there. Did you yeah. win the contest? <laughs> I just think I won their respect. <laughs> it was just like, let's see how well you do, you know? Yeah. Uh, what video games would y'all play? Uh, I personally was like always into like the adventure and fighting games. Um, but, you know, there's always games that we played together like uh, NBA Jam, mm-hmm. uh, Streets of Rage on the Sega Genesis, uh, you know, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, um, Soul Calibur. Um, Were y'all Sega kids or Nintendo kids? Was that even a... Thing back then like I everyone kind of have my friends had both but yeah. with me you know with limited resources it's just like I saved up and bought a Super Nintendo yeah because um, when I was younger my mom bought me a Nintendo so then I kind of just was like a Nintendo stuck with it fanboy for for a while yeah it was the same with me because we had a uh, Nintendo then a Super Nintendo and my cousin had the Sega mm-hmm. and I could only play it when I was over at her house. Right. So I was just like a Nintendo kid. <laughs> Fanboy. Yeah. What was it about like fighting games and adventure games that kind of uh, like kept Intrigued. your attention? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, well, at least with the adventure games, that was what I was exposed to the most um, with the Nintendo Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Super Mario Brothers, uh, uh, Ninja Turtles, um, anything like that Turtles was, in time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of the side-scroller stuff. So that kind of just got me into, like, the adventure things. And then 
with uh, the fighting, I think just I always enjoy watching like martial art movies. So with with those two genres, um, I feel like it was easy for me to just pick up and play. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a good thing. But then also just uh, it kind of grasped my imagination, you know, because when I wasn't playing uh, those particular games, I would be outside, you know, playing and then pretending like I was, you know, this uh, this person. And me and my friends, we would pretend like we were doing Street Fighter or, uh, you know, other care, pretend like we were doing Mortal Kombat and pretending like we had spears and telling <laughs> each other, get over here and all this other stuff. So, yeah, just kind of stuck. Uh, were you any good at basketball? Uh, yeah, I became um, good at basketball. I didn't play much until I got uh, till I moved um, to the neighborhood where my mom, you know, still is, and started to play basketball uh, with my friends uh, quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's when I got it, got much better in the skills. And were you in Detroit like all the way up from childhood through adulthood, or did you move around? Um, I was in Detroit for the large chunk of that part of my life. Um, for a while, we moved to Taylor, Michigan, which is a suburb. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so predominantly a uh, white neighborhood and a predominantly white school for maybe two years. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then it was uh, back to Detroit. Uh, so, yeah. That, that's what I said, like, again, in Detroit, you have, like, uh, you get exposed to both sides of the tracks. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Did you like uh, living there? In, in Taylor, Michigan? Oh, in D- both, actually. Or Detroit? Yeah. Um, oh, it, I didn't, it really didn't, I didn't have a preference because, you know, I always had some friends there who, you know, we always hung out and uh, went did fun, fun things together. So it really wasn't, for me, even to this day, it's not so much about the location. It's more about like who, who's there to like help you enjoy uh, yeah. while you're there. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, it was funny because like during, when I was in Taylor, that's when the BMX uh, biking was like kind of taking off. Mm-hmm. So we had our like BMX bikes and we would, uh, you know, drive them off ramps and <laughs> pie, uh, pop wheelies and things like that. Um, it's probably easier to do that in the suburbs than in the city anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And we would play by the creek and uh, catch tadpoles and stuff like that. So it was, uh, that was a good, good time. <laughs> uh, were you into martial arts as a kid, like practicing in addition to like the Street Fighter influence? Um, I think as a kid, I was into martial arts ever since I saw The Chinese Connection. So it was a scene where Bruce Lee was in the Japanese dojo and he was beating everybody up. And when he pulled out the nunchucks and hit one guy in the head mm-hmm. and he had the ketchup packet and he was holding <laughs> his head while he was squeezing out the blood. <laughs> and then that image just stuck with me like, oh my God, he hit him really hard. <laughs> Uh, and then around the same time that uh, The Last Dragon, mm-hmm. you know, came out and that, uh, that appealed to me. But it wasn't um, until much later that I actually got into martial arts and actually took a martial arts class. My mom says that she took me to a martial arts class when I was young, but I was really intimidated by the teacher. It's a guy named Black Dragon, really heavy set, you know, uh, 
powerful uh, black guy. You know, mm -hmm. I remember what he looked like, yeah. but I don't remember so much um, that experience. I just remember that guy. You yeah. Know? But she was like, "Oh, you're, you know, you were a little intimidated, so we didn't we didn't sign you up." And it wasn't until I got into high school that I actually started taking up martial arts. Was it Chinese martial arts the, that I got into first? Yeah. Uh, it was actually Japanese um, with Kenpo. Mm. I'm not sure because there's two versions of Kenpo. There's one with spelled with the N and one spelled with the M. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't remember which one I did. <laughs> but I feel like this one is karate based. Um, and uh, the teachers, you know, there's two uh, instructors, two black belt instructors, and they were uh, both Muslim. Mm -hmm. um, black guys and yeah that was my first exposure to actually like training martial arts uh it's funny you tell that chinese connection story because i just realized when luke cage was coming out and they had that conversation about chinese connection versus fist of legend <laughs> oh, yeah. and i think you were on the chinese connection side and i was on the fist of legend <laughs> side <laughs> well it's like you know you got to pay homage to the uh the original work you yeah know? and of course like yeah it, i mean put them together the the fist of legend does have like more that it dove into like you know him fighting like blindfolded and and things like that but yeah it's bruce lee man <laughs> it's fucking bruce lee <laughs> so what got you to move to california like did you move to oakland originally um i think the first spot that i went to from detroit was uh berkeley okay and i think that's just where you know people lived where I could stay. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I moved around Berkeley, stayed in San Francisco for a little bit. But again, like Oakland was like the place that I stayed the majority of the time. And why Oakland? Like, I mean, what brought you to Oakland? Oh, Capoeira. Okay. Yeah, I started Capoeira in Detroit. Um, once I stopped uh, karate, then I started Capoeira in Detroit. Uh, met the uh, Mestre in Detroit and uh, the Capoeira group that I was training with was a branch of the headquarters that's in Oakland. Okay. So after meeting him, doing the workshops with him and things like that, I was like, man, if I want to get good, I need to be where he is. So when I was 19, uh, maybe a month or two after my 19th birthday, then I just moved to uh, California. That's wild. Yeah. Were you afraid of moving out here? Like, what were you going to do? Um, no clue. I was... Um, I don't know. I, I, it's just like maybe, uh, you know, if I was more rational, I would have been like more <laughs> cautious and reserved about it. But it's just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And uh, I just stuck to it. You know, it's just like, hey, let's do it. And what was it that got you into Capoeira in the first place? Um, well, find, finding an actual Capoeira class. But before that, my exposure was, uh, you know, this movie, Only the Strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the head capoeira in it, and then also uh, Tekken 3, which had a character that did, does capoeira. Mm -hmm. um, and the capoeira group that I started training with in Detroit, um, you know, when I called the guy to get information about the classes, he was like, oh, you know, the guy that does the movements, Eddie Gordo in the game, he's like our teacher. And I'm like, nah, whatever, get out of here. <laughs> it's not a real guy. He, was, he did the motion capturing. What the hell are you just talking about motion capturing? <laughs> you know, I was like, didn't even recognize that term. Um, but yeah, come to find out that that same guy did the motion capturing um, 
and was living in Oakland. So that was like, oh, that's cool. I can learn from Eddie Gordo. Yeah. <laughs> and what was it about Capoeira that like caught your heart, like made you like confident enough to want to move out here to keep studying and like get really deep into it? Um, first, just the visual aesthetics of the movement, like, uh, you know, in the movie and then also on the video game, just how the person was moving and, you know, attacking and defending, it was just kind of different from everything else, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that I've seen before. And kind of with it being different, you don't really know everything that it has to offer. Like, you know, other martial arts is, it's, you know, it's beautiful and, and effective, and, but it's straightforward. You know, with Capoeira being something totally different, it's like, oh, well, you know, every, every little thing was like, oh, wow, you can do that too, or you can do that too. So like when in the movie, when they started using like his hands to attack the person, you know, he didn't do it as much. Mm -hmm. But when he started to do that, it was like, oh, okay, you can do that too. And then in the video game, it was like, oh, you know, we use headbutts or, or other stuff. Like it was just a very dynamic art form that kind of kept you guessing of mm -hmm. what the person could do next <laughs> you know so that was uh that was cool as well and then just being um training with uh the master or the master um and his a uh, high level student who came also just like man i want to i want to try and you know get good like that mm -hmm. and just follow through with it and for the people listening who don't know what capoeira is do you have a uh, an elevator pitch? Break it down. <laughs> yeah, uh, capoeira is a Afro Brazilian martial art. So it's the manifestation of uh, the Africans who were enslaved in Brazil by the Portuguese, um, as different ethnic uh, groups from Africa combined their dances, uh, games, fights, uh, all together, um, and they used this uh form this art form to uh resist enslavement and escape slavery uh so at its core capoeira is a fight later on over many years you know it started to develop more and more um and become more of an art form with you know more music and uh other elements that you know are more prevalent uh today but at its core it was the you know the primitive or basic uh, attack and defense movements to, you know, escape and find freedom. And one thing that kind of, uh, that I've really enjoyed over the past, like, year of going to Phyllis uh, Chibimba is, like, it's a well-rounded art form. Like, mm -hmm. there's history involved, like, in addition to music and, like, the actual, like, combat aspects. Mm -hmm. But, like, you get the most out of it, I think, when you pay attention to, like, the history of slavery in Brazil. Yeah. Or kind of, like, the the way different cultures are treated in Brazil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's a deeper understanding, you yeah. know? Deeper understanding of the art form. Is, and they're like, a, when, if you knew better, you do better. Mm -hmm. So once you like really understand like what it went through and where it comes from, then you really appreciate more about the art form and kind of take it a little bit more seriously or you just have a deeper respect for it. And was that apparent to you when you were first getting started? Nah. Is it something you can't do? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just like, man, I want to flip. Yeah. I wanna, the main thing was like, I want to do acrobatics. I want to flip and do all these like cool movements. Um, but it's just, 
weird because uh, I don't I, w- I don't want to say I have an obsessive personality, but when I'm really into something, you know, I'm in, in it. Like 110. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and that goes just like uh, just if I'm thinking about something like, you know, when I was talking about the the Black Panther and that whole scenario about <laughs> Wakanda yeah. versus everybody. It's like it'll just it'll just be on my mind and then I'll just like write stuff down and, you know, just go until that fire is kind of like extinguished and then move on to something else. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So what did it take for you to start learning about the history, mm-hmm. like the context of it, the martial art? I feel it was a slow burn, you know, um, I would buy books um, that I could find um, on Capoeira mm-hmm. and read those and just reading about the history itself. And uh, for, you know, first I would jump to like the section that had all the pictures, yeah. that, you know, of <laughs> movements and things like that. But um, just being really thorough and kind of reading everything it was, and discovering uh, about the history is like, OK, you know, it comes from, you know, enslavement of, you know, African people. And and that just kind of made me want to become a good representation of the art form. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of grew, uh, and as well as like deep in my understanding of what that actually means to me, mm-hmm. to, be, to be that. And what do you think a good representation is? Is it, rep- is it having like all that stuff in your back pocket, like making it plain to people? Um, it's how you carry yourself. Uh, being a good representation means like, for me, is you represent the art uh, 100%. Um, you know, some people, like, they make space in their life for capoeira. Like, for me, my life is capoeira. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the training of it, but how I move, how I interact uh, with people. Um, also, how I deal with situations, you know. It's similar to how I play uh, capoeira as well. Um, and just being an example, how you carry yourself, uh, how you interact with other people, and then also your knowledge um, as well, because there are people who play capoeira really well, you know, you know, much, much better than me. Um, but then also there's this whole other aspect of like uh, representing the music and also knowing the history and uh, being somewhat of a historian mm-hmm. uh, as well. So you fully embody the art form. And can you tell us about the Felix Jibimba school? Yes. Um, Felix Jibimba uh, is headed by Mestri Nenel. Uh, Mestri Nenel is the son of Mestri Bimba. Mestri Bimba is the first uh, officially recognized uh, Mestri uh, of Capoeira who was allowed uh, to teach Capoeira because at that time um, uh, Capoeira was illegal. Uh, by practice. So even when Messi Bimba uh, became allowed to teach it, when they allowed him to teach it, uh, he couldn't even call it Capoeira at that time. He called it Luta Regional Baiana, which was the regional fight of Bahia, uh, which is a state in Brazil where it has the highest number of African descendants. Um, so Messi Bimba is accredited to kind of saving Capoeira from extinction because of its, you know, persecution and things like that from police and also the reputation that it had um, of being marginalized and things like that. So Felix Jibimba comes from that lineage of Master Jibimba and the Capoeira Hejonao philosophy, uh, methodology and traditions. And there are 
three segments for of capoeira? Uh, yeah, they fall into three categories. Mm-hmm. Um, there's capoeira regional, which at the the core, the root is Mestre Bimba. Um, capoeira Angola, which uh, is another form uh, of capoeira with its with its own, you know, musicality and uh, uh, orchestra setup. Um, and certain movements uh, that kind of represent that. And then you have uh, what's called contemporanea or contemporary capoeira uh, that kind of pick and chooses, you know, different elements um, from those as well as, you know, uh, other elements from dance or circus or break dancing or other martial arts uh, as well. And what was it that drew you to uh, Hegenau? Um, When I... started capoeira, I didn't have like any particular vision of like capoeira Angola, Hegenau or anything like that uh, because the capoeira that I was doing was contemporary. So blending everything together. So I thought that was kind of like the Jeet Kune Do mm-hmm. of uh, <laughs> capoeira, <laughs> you know. Um, but just as I researched, um, lived in Brazil for years, for a year and uh, would go back every year, um, everything that uh, spoke to me about Capoeira Regional was the reason that I got into Capoeira in the first place. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, learning a martial art. Um, so with Capoeira Regional, it really presented all those <laughs> scenarios and situations for you to have it be a very beautiful, artistic, free-flowing um, art form. But then if you need to defend yourself, giving you the proper tools to do that, because I was in another... Um, school and everything was like in theory in theory uh, you know you could do this but with Capoeira Regional even with the first two or three levels you're already training defense against you know certain attacks with the head or the hands um, and things like that stuff that you would encounter in street situations yeah it's like a applied science basically Mm -hmm. Uh, can you I know this story, but can you tell us about the emboscada that you were you did this year? <laughs> yeah, I'll do just a little bit because I don't want to ruin it. You know? Yeah, you know, hush, hush. Need to know. Basically, um, what the emboscada is is um, something that was created by Mestre Bimba, where he wanted to prepare his uh, students for these street situations. So, um, once the students would become formado, which means they reached a certain level and have a basic knowledge and understanding of Capoeira Regional, uh, they would go through a couple of days or weeks um, of specific training, specialized training for street situations. Um, and then after that, then, you know, they would go into the forest, you know, one by one, and they would get attacked by multiple opponents in the forest. And then they have to defend themselves any way they can and get from point A to point B. Um, Sometimes there would be, you know, just one particular area. Sometimes it would be various stages that they would have to get through. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's what I went through. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like it's one thing to practice capoeira. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's another entirely to, like, teach it. How did you get to the point that you became a professor? (laughs) Yeah, it is... Those are two different things. Yeah. Um, well, again, everything is just like has been a, a discovery for me. 
mm-hmm. and just uh, trying things out and just just like, oh, you know, I really enjoy doing this or I'm good at this. So uh, when I moved here to the to the Bay Area, um, I would train um, with some friends at a gymnastics facility on the days that we didn't have class. Uh, and I would go to that facility, the gymnastics facility, so often um, you know, and the guys would, uh, one of the coaches like, hey, man, you're here so often. If you just uh, teach, then you don't have to pay to train, you know. So I wasn't teaching in Capoeira classes, nor did that, like, ever cross my mind. But I went through their basic training program and started to teach, you know, basic gymnastics to uh, the kids there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I got the idea of, you know, starting my own kids class there. And even with the adult classes that I was taking, um, I wasn't making that much money, you know, uh, you know just moving out to uh, the Bay Area and having odd jobs, you know, here and there, you know, record stores or Toys R Us and things like that. It wasn't making that much money. Um, so I even worked out a deal with the, the master that I would teach the uh, beginner class mm-hmm. and get to take the advanced class. You know, which was like one right after the other. Um, so that kind of slowly got me into um, what it feels like to teach. Uh, but I do credit Head Over Heels Gymnastics uh, and Kathleen um, for giving me the credentials on what it is to actually teach, like to take someone and have them understand the movement rather than just have them imitate what they see me doing, like in an aerobics class or something like that. And does that take a lot of planning on your part to uh, figure out the difference between those two kind of approaches? Yeah, it took a, a always in the beginning stages, you know, it takes a while to kind of like find your way and uh, see what works, what doesn't work, fill it out, uh, get used to different personalities. Um, some people you can really push, some people you have to uh, kind of hold their hand. Um, and some people have good or bad attitudes about certain things and then also you have to make sure that you keep your goal in mind you know is that you want the person to understand the material that you're trying to pass to them not just do a movement but understand it so it becomes a a reflex so that they can apply it spontaneously when they're playing capoeira Mm -hmm. and how long have you been teaching uh 17 let's see we're in 2016 um, 14 years. Jeez, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how long were you doing uh, capoeira before you started teaching? Uh, two years. That's a really quick turnaround. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, my, my capoeira path is very unique. Yeah. Um, because I started in Detroit, and my first teacher was not someone who actually practiced capoeira. They, he had the full volume the full library of uh, instructional capoeira videotapes. Um, <laughs> so, and he had dabbled here and there in other martial arts and things like that, but he was like an, what I call like an American martial artist, where it's just like, you know, you get good at maybe, you have some basic knowledge and stuff, and then you think you're the, yeah, think you're the stuff. So, anyway, um, that was my first teacher. So we didn't do, we didn't learn any of the music and things like that, because he didn't, that's not something that you can learn uh, so as quickly as just like the physical movements from a instructional videotape. Mm-hmm. But I do credit that, you know, that was my first exposure uh, to the art form and the conditioning 
uh, was really good uh, that we went through. But that was my first teacher. Um, but a few of us, uh, some people that were training before me, a year or two before me, they would travel to Chicago, you know, where there's an actual Capoeira school run by a Brazilian and things like that, um, and get exposed to like what, you know, authentic uh, Capoeira was. And they would come back and practice more and practice the, the instruments and, you know, teach me some things. And uh, as I, we would all get better, what would look like on our own because we weren't, we were improving in things that weren't being taught to us in the class, like some of the music and even, you know, movements and stuff like that, because we would watch videotapes all day long and then go <laughs> practice, practice different movements. Um, so, yeah, uh, the guy decided to stop uh, teaching capoeira, you know, kind of out of the blue um, mm -hmm. and switched over to teaching uh, another martial art. I think it was like uh, Muay Thai. So then... Um, some people before me, they moved to California to, you know, train with a capoeira school there, uh, but not everyone. So that left me and a few other people. So we would get together maybe once or twice a week at like six in the morning at the YMCA and just train together. And then after that, go back home and uh, go to sleep. And then <laughs> I would wake up and then go to school, <laughs> wake back up and go to school because uh, at that time I was... Um, going to U of D Mercy. Mm -hmm. uh, and then two years into it, I got my first belt. And then when I came back, then I just started helping with classes. So it was like, it, it was just like, hey, you guys follow me. You know, not, I wasn't at that point where I could be like, hey, I want you guys to understand this or even me have a concept of like what I want people to learn. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, hey, these are some of the stuff that we trained when I was there and, and this is what we're going to do. And that was it. And how soon did you go to Brazil for the first time? Uh, that was 2001. So I was like 20. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So like right after uh, mm -hmm. you came out here. Yeah. 2001, 2002, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what did that do for your growth in the uh, art form? <laughs> oh, man. It's like a, like a bottle rocket. That's yeah. what. <laughs> uh, it's like one month. Um, in Brazil is like half a year in the United States, you know, uh, just, and I think also just my personality and how like I was absorbing everything, um, and just trying everything and training, you know, all the time. I really enjoyed, uh, the training and, and the holders and things like that and getting my butt kicked. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I really took to it, uh, and, and worked really hard and just got inspired to like continue going because when I went there it was like man these are really amazing people who this is their life you know that's all they know because uh, Brazil uh, for many people that do capoeira it's it's uh, an art form that uh, not people do and they don't have other options available you know you don't need any real uniform to like train and get good at capoeira not like jujitsu where like you need a gi and you need a dojo so you can, you know, roll around and, and grapple like capoeira. You can learn that like in the park. Yeah. Uh, just in, in your street clothes and you can get, you know, proficient through consistent training without having to, you know, have a lot of the other resources that is kind of established for other martial arts. Mm -hmm. When you introduced yourself, you said that your name is Melandro, mm -hmm. also Ricky Lawson. Yes. Uh, what is Melandro about? Why do you have two names? Uh... Well, I was born with Ricky Lawson II um, after my father, 
but in the capoeira, not all schools, but the uh, the uh, popular tradition is that you receive a nickname um, in capoeira, or in our school we call it nomajigeha, which is your warrior name. Because in those times, the old times, um, capoeiristas would have nicknames so that if the police came looking for them, they would say those nicknames and no one would kind of like know who they were because of so many nicknames or not even knowing what the real person's name was. Mm -hmm. So it's a way for them to uh, <laughs> not get caught. <laughs> <laughs> and that just carried through into the modern day? Yes. Uh, some schools uh, keep with that tradition of giving nicknames. Do you prefer one or the other or is it just all the same in your head? Um, I mean, to a certain degree, it's all me, you know, a rose yeah. by any other name, as they say. But uh, I feel like it's a, it's a difference with, you know, uh, the caterpillar and the butterfly. Um, mm -hmm. They're both the same, but I feel like who I am is malandro, mm -hmm. you know. Roots and everything, family, of course, you know, that's Ricky and things like that. But... Uh, because I've grown into becoming capoeira, like capoeira is who I am, then that also like kind of solidifies it mm -hmm. as well. Uh, when you say that capoeira is who you are, mm -hmm. what does that mean in terms of what capoeira represents? Uh, capoeira is a tool for education, personal growth. Um, and then that growth is connected to other people that inspires them to do the same. Uh, so it affects the community. Mm -hmm. So that's what Capoeira represents for me. Um, and that's what I, in turn, try to do the same thing and represent it in that fashion. Mm -hmm. um, so that when people see the art form, regardless if they want to practice it or if they want to do it for their lifetime or in whatever fashion. Because some people do it for a lifetime, but they don't, they're not that... Uh, consistent with it you know but it's always like around mm -hmm. um just to be one of those few people that you know oh you know so and so is it you know really represents capoeira you know if i could have more time then i would want to obtain that same uh standard for capoeira if i was able to do that you mm -hmm. know because i do have the opportunity to train um and take advantage of like a lot of information and resources that are out there. So uh, if someone else is in a different position, they can't do that, then I feel like it's my duty to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not be lazy and take advantage of it or yeah, just follow through. Yeah. I'll say as a student, uh, like that's to it's like I can see that, like it's sort of inspirational because mm -hmm. you and uh, Piranha too will pull out stuff in the Hoda that like will blow my mind. I'm like, how do I get like that? And the answer <laughs> is, you know, practice, like do it for years and years. Mm -hmm. But like it's done in such like a smooth, casual way that it doesn't look like. Yeah. It's like a low key, iconic sort of move. You know? <laughs> you know, like in the comic book when they have like the big punch, it's like a full page, full page splash. Yeah. It's just yeah. like a bunch of those, but just rolled out like it's totally normal. <laughs> and it just comes from, uh, of course, training. But when we say training, that means like working hard enough to manifest your own innate ability. So mm -hmm. you're training enough so that you can do what your mind uh, want you to do like your so that your body moves in the way that your mind is thinking, mm -hmm. you know, or reacting. Because um, sometimes stuff will 
come out that I'm not thinking about doing it. It just does it on its own. Yeah. Um, but you have to make that connection. Um, and you start that with the physical activity, with the conditioning, with the repetition, um, so that it becomes uh, second nature. And is the music and stuff second nature for you as well? Uh, I wouldn't say, to say that like it is second nature would f make me feel like uh, it's all said and done, like I got yeah. it down, you know? And I'm always trying to improve uh, and, and work, work at it. It's, it's, I was, it's always been around me, you know, since a, since a kid. I wouldn't say so much like the Brazilian music, because that's a music from a different culture, but uh, still moving to a beat or, or singing or, or just listening to music, that has always been, you know, a part of my upbringing. Yeah. What's the website for your school? The website for the school is capoeirabayarea.com. And you do a lot of events, like visitors come from Brazil a couple times a year. Yeah, we, uh, I try to do annual uh, events to bring attention to this school um, and bring uh, people from Brazil, from our school there, uh, so that they have the opportunity to share uh, and also get notoriety and get known in, in the Capoeira community that may not uh, have a chance to be exposed to them. They might, people may not be able to go to Brazil and go to Bahia um, and visit, but when I bring them here, like, wow, you know, so-and-so is very awesome and I didn't know that they were around and thanks so much for, you know, bringing, bringing them. So I'm creating opportunities for people as well. And I think that really ties into the community aspect of Capoeira. Mm -hmm. Like it's very much not, you can practice on your own, but you can't play on your own. Right. Mm -hmm. And you go to a lot of like open hodas and other schools here in the Bay as well. Like what's yes. the community aspect for you? What's, what's that like? Um, it's always welcoming. Um, so it's a good time. And it's, it's like you get to, in a way, test and see how, how far your training is, is coming and then also be exposed to other things that people are doing or situations that may happen. It's, it's like, a, you know, you have your base at home mm -hmm. and then you go out into the real world and go to a party or go to other social gatherings and then you encounter different uh, people who, you know, think the same as you or like the same things and other times you encounter people that like different things than you so it's a it's a opportunity to grow and learn more yeah um from the community but it's always a good time and one last question mm -hmm. which people keep telling me is a hard question but we're gonna go for it okay uh what's something that you're very proud of for myself or just in general uh either or whatever comes to mind first hmm yeah, I think what comes to mind is self-reflection. So like you say, what am I proud of? Uh, in my mind, I'm looking at a mirror, seeing myself and seeing like, and thinking, what is it that I'm proud of? Um, I'm proud of the fact that I was able to find my passion. And I'm proud of the fact that I'm able to share that with the world because I feel like that is something that a lot of people haven't had a chance to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm grateful for that and I'm grateful for all the trials, tribulations, struggles, downfalls, pitfalls, uh, because I learned from that and I'm proud that I'm sharing something that helps give joy to other people.
because um, I feel like you know the more we have of that, yeah, the better, <laughs> the better everyone is. Yeah, that remind. There's a uh, a saying that you said a few times during class that uh, that which is fallen is not capoeira. Mm-hmm. I forget how it goes in Portuguese. Yeah, in in life you uh, there's a song. Um, in life you fall. Uh, you get a hastera. So a hastera is a, a sweep, like your leg gets hooked and pulled out from under you. Um, in life you fall, you get a hastera. What has never fallen is not capoeira. You know? So you can't really grow um, and you know learn how to pick yourself up and be stronger and self-dependent, uh, self-sufficient if you first don't fall down. Mm-hmm. Um, so those those things uh, teach you a lesson.